Well, <clears throat> well, it's wonderful to be with you all this evening. I'm sorry I was absent last Thursday. I ended up with influenza strain A, I guess. That was um, unpleasant. I'm a firm believer that uh, what Christ paid such a dear price to provide for us, we ought to, we ought to take advantage of, appropriate those wonderful gifts by faith. And uh, I realized while I was laying in bed with 102 fever, I'm not appropriating this wonderful gift of healing very effectively. And I realize I've not really been spending a great deal of time over the last several years spending time meditating upon those promises and building my faith in that particular area. And uh, so I decided to put a few books out on my desk and include them in my devotions over the next several months. And uh, I, I recall <coughs> many years ago, I was attending a healing services every day, a healing school it was called, and then I had my regular classes. And so I was be being bathed in these wonderful promises uh, concerning healing, and uh, suddenly grew very, very ill. I had a raging fever and a flu. I mean, it was dreadful. And I thought, oh, I'm going to need to go to the doctor. And I think I was at the time about 19 or 20. And it suddenly occurred to me, wait a moment, you've been hearing the word of God concerning healing. You've been bathing in these promises for several months. I think it's time to appropriate them by faith. And I did. I, got, I grabbed a little book. with It just had verses of Scripture, uh, listed verses of Scripture pertaining to healing. And I, I began to sit there and read them and thank God for them one by one. And within one hour, all of the symptoms had left my body. Uh, and I learned an invaluable lesson then uh, that these things are within reach, but often we simply don't lay hold of them by faith and receive them. Uh, but you know, if you haven't been spending time in those promises and you find yourself suddenly ill, boy, the the um, the symptoms seem so influential and permanent, don't they? And and your faith, if you've not really been building it up, can struggle at those times. And I found myself there last week, and and I thought I need to spend time again really reflecting on these promises, building them into my daily devotions. And so I am doing that now. Um, <clears throat> encourage you to, to uh, perhaps consider uh, doing the same. All right, let's open up, please, to Acts, the first chapter. Father, we're so grateful for this uh, chance to be together tonight, to worship you together, to pray together, and to receive from your word and from your Holy Spirit tonight together. We acknowledge by faith your presence here, and we welcome your Holy Spirit to make real to us your word, to cause it to come to life in our heart and yield faith. And I pray that we, in our encounter with you tonight, grow uh, deeper in our relationship with you, that we become more intimately acquainted with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts, the first chapter, we're continuing with this uh, series on the personal work of the Holy Spirit, and tonight we're going to begin to edge into the matter of tongues, in particular speaking in other tongues, and uh, 
Again, uh, this subject can, uh, might be considered by some to be controversial, and I quite understand that. And I'm going to ask you to uh, be patient as we work through it. We're just beginning to edge into it tonight. If you have questions or concerns, um, I'd love to chat with you about them after uh, the service, or if it's more convenient to call me uh, during the week or to email me. Um, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to uh, talk about these matters, um, particularly with regard to the gifts of the Spirit, in particular speaking in tongues. Um, I look at it in, in one regard as I do creation. Uh, there are old earth uh, creationists and new earth creationists. There are believers who are convinced that the that the earth is only six to 10,000 years old. And, and they believe that because of what they read in Scripture. I, I believe that Scripture provides a, a, an alternate view, and uh, science seems to suggest that the earth is, is closer to 4 billion years old and the universe, I think, 13 to 14 billion. I happen to adhere to that, uh, and I think with, with uh, good reason. But there are people who disagree with me entirely, and that's fine. I don't, I don't believe that I need to plant my flag there or insist that everyone else agree with me. That is not a salvific issue. That is, my salvation doesn't hinge on what I believe about an old earth or a new earth. I believe God created it. Um, and the matter of tongues is another, I think, uh, such issue. Our salvation doesn't hinge on what we believe about this matter. And so um, it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. <laughs> I will uh, discuss it and I will listen with an open heart and an open mind. Um, and I would, you know, hope that you would engage in a conversation with me in the same way. But as we sit here tonight, I do want to encourage you. This may um, uh, this may challenge some of your views, uh, some of your theology. And we all have a theology, whether we realize it or not. We have a set of beliefs regarding God and His Word. Uh, whether we've even taken the time to articulate them, we, we do have them. And, uh, and so this may challenge your theology on some level. And that, that's okay. I don't want you to feel threatened by it. I don't want you to feel as if I'm trying to uh, cajole you into believing something that you fundamentally disagree with. But what I am asking you to do is just to listen with an open mind. And most importantly, as the Berean believers did, go to Scripture. Make that the metric that you're indexing everything against. Well, let me see if what Larry says is supported by Scripture. Or if he's... Um, if he's if he's suggesting something that really doesn't comport with the full counsel of God's Word. And if that's the case, and you really feel compelled to talk with me about it, by all means, let's talk about it. But as we move into this, I'm just going to ask you to be patient. It's going to take a few weeks to move through this. If I tried to teach this exhaustively tonight, I would simply exhaust you. <laughs> and, and so we'll work within the constraints that we have. And I, and I would just simply ask you to uh, approach it with an open mind and spend time over the next week reviewing what I've talked about. If you have questions or comments, feel free to call me. Um, 
or email me and uh, we, we can discuss it further. Okay, Acts the first chapter. This uh, wonderful and defining event is uh, a narrative of it is provided for us here as <laughs> Luke records these events. Uh, verse uh, 1, the first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. I would love to have been present <laughs> during those 40 days and, and hear what Jesus said to those disciples. Verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you'll recall that John spoke of one uh, who was to come, whose uh, shoe latchets he was not worthy to undo. He would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is our baptizer with the Holy Spirit. This baptism is very much a Jesus experience. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so he has explained to them that uh, this this baptism with the Holy Spirit that would visit them, would prepare them and empower them to be witnesses. Something about their approach would testify to the reality of the invisible God and His Son Jesus Christ and the Spirit whom He had sent. It would testify of uh, the Gospel of Christ that they would be preaching. So this was going to be a consequential event, and then he also implies here uh, that the church is going to be more than a Jewish institution, which uh, these disciples were, were, and it would take them some time to view the church as something broader than a Jewish institution, but Jesus hints at it here, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And then he was taken up into heaven. The angels asked, why are you standing here looking to the sky? Jesus is returning again in like manner. Go. And so off to Jerusalem they went. Verse 1 of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, uh, we read that there were Jews who had traveled to Jerusalem at that particular time and heard from uh, different nations. And they heard these men and women praising God and glorifying God but they each heard them in their own tongue and dialect. 
Now, whether this was an auditory miracle, God was performing a miracle in the ears of the hearers and causing them to hear uh, the praises of God in their own language, or whether this was a vocal miracle that God was actually um, empowering these men and women to speak in a language that they didn't actually know. Um, there's no certainty with regard to it, but we do know that a miracle was happening. That this outpouring of the Holy Spirit had come as Jesus promised, and it revealed itself in this um, unique manifestation, speaking in other tongues. Have you ever wondered why tongues? We're going to explore this more deeply in the weeks to come, but I want to... Uh, I want you to consider this possibility. Uh, first of all, James explains that the tongue is a consequential member. Who can control it? It sets on fire the course of nature. Who can control this unruly member? It appears here that the Holy Spirit in this unique experience suddenly gains control of this member which seems to refuse to be tamed, the tongue. Also, this is a compellingly unifying experience. Rather than divisive, it is, it is drawing people together, both in the experience and the hearers are being drawn together. Even though they come from different nations, they are hearing the praises of God in their own tongue. It's as if the the uh, phenomenon of the Tower of Babel has been inverted. And now they are hearing uh, with one voice the praises of God. But I also want you to consider this. Man has deified his intellect. There was a time prior to the fall when spiritual reality was for man reality what could be confirmed by their senses certainly existed within the spectrum of reality but it did not comprise for them reality the invisible God and his invisible kingdom uh, lay at the center of their reality after the fall Remember, God said, dying ye shall die. If you partake of this fruit, dying ye shall die. Man became <clears throat> less convinced of the reality and centrality of this invisible God and his invisible kingdom. So much so that within the space of just a few generations, men were fashioning gods out of stone and wood. They needed a God that their senses could appreciate. Which their senses could confirm as real. The invisible God had become irrelevant and at last simply unreal. With each successive generation, man's spirit grew more and more distant from God. And his intellect ruled his perception of reality. The same is true today. You, if you share the good news with someone, 
oh, they'll often say, why, why that's silly, that slaughterhouse religion. Blood shed for the sins of mankind. Besides that, the book begins in such a silly fashion, people living for hundreds of years. Don't you feel foolish believing fairy tales like that? Although, uh, I should, and I think I've mentioned this before, but I had dinner, oh, this was several years ago, with Dr. He's a Russian gentleman, I can't recall his name now. Um, he was working in Berlin on the genome mapping project, and we were having dinner in Berlin one evening, and he just mentioned nonchalantly to me, and I, if he was a Christian, he is a, 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 he's passed away now, he was a, uh, a nominal Christian, a Russian Orthodox, uh, but he said to me casually, uh, and this was because of the work they were doing at that time in the genome mapping project at the University of Berlin, he said, you know, we've discovered man was designed, that was his word, was designed to live for at least six or seven hundred years. But uh, man's DNA has become compromised throughout the successive generations till we're here at this place. And of course, the whole genome mapping project, a big part of it is to try to rebuild the human DNA. Um, but I thought that was fascinating. Um, so even if you're uh, it's reasonable to believe such a thing. But our minds often get in the way because we, we have determined that reason is paramount. That's part of the modern age. Um, tongues is unreasonable. It's unintelligible. It seems like madness. But humility stands guard at every significant passage in the Christian's life. The preaching of the cross, Paul said, is foolishness to them that perish. It's absurd. Now, we live in a unique culture. On the one hand, people are dismissive of Christianity. Again, it's a slaughterhouse religion. Jesus dying. Do you remember how offended people uh, became at the film? I think it was The Passion of the Christ produced by Mel Gibson. I think one of the things that genuinely offended them was the violence he suffered. The idea that he had to suffer. Such violence. Violence. Uh as a propitiation for our sins, I think offended people. And yet, while they're dismissive of that, they will embrace some really odd ideas in Eastern religion. Unquestioningly. Which suggests to me there's a spiritual dynamic at work there as well. Um, but we tend to deify the intellect. And tongues is a very humbling experience. It is an unintelligible language, literally. It is an, an, and we'll see in 1 Corinthians 14, it is an unintelligible language. I have found myself in my prayer closet, praying in my prayer language, and suddenly become embarrassed, even though I'm quite alone. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, how would I explain this if someone were to walk in? It's ancient Latin. 
<laughs> I, I recall uh, one gentleman had come to Christ. He was uh, uh, joined uh, the church I was pastoring in Boston, and he had heard uh, he had heard me praying in the Spirit, and he approached me one day and he said, "I know what you're doing." And he said, "That's Latin." And I was tempted to say, "Well, of course it is." <laughs> But I said, no, no, actually, it, it's not. And I tried to explain to him what it was. Um, but let's, uh, let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. Now, as you're turning there, I want to remind you that Jesus said that w- they were to wait for an endowment of power that would come to them through this encounter with the Holy Spirit, this baptism with the Holy Spirit. Was it power for miracles? Yes and no. Remember, in Luke the ninth chapter, Jesus gave to his disciples authority and power and sent them to pray for the sick and to cast out demons. Do you recall that? So they had power to work miracles prior to this baptism with the Holy Spirit. Do I believe that this endowment with power does touch upon that? Yes, but indirectly, and we'll discuss that more later um i'm just laying the pieces of the puzzle out right now um one of the first uh, aspects though of uh, this endowment of power is the ability to preach the gospel with uh with conviction and convincing power Acts the uh, hold your place there, First Corinthians fourteen, and just look real quickly at Acts two, verse thirty-seven. This uh, the crowds had come together; they're they're witnessing this extraordinary miracle. Peter takes the occasion and begins to proclaim to them the gospel of Christ and explain to them what they're witnessing. That this was in fact a fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Joel that. God would pour out His Spirit upon all mankind and your sons and daughters would prophesy. Your young men uh, see visions. Your old men dream dreams. Um, and in verse 27, we are, uh, verse 37 rather, we read, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls wonderful event but there was something about this spirit empowered preaching that pierced their heart this wasn't simply a wonderful speech this wasn't gifted storytelling this was someone empowered by the holy spirit proclaiming the word of god and the convicting and convincing power of the holy spirit Each word was imbued with that convincing and convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people were converted that day. Um, 
Acts, the fourth chapter, slip over a few pages. I want you to just see this. If you have this Holy Spirit dwelling in you, empowering you, when you speak God's word, you don't need to stand behind a pulpit. You don't need to wave your arms wildly like I do. I'm amazed. I've looked at the videos and I thought, what in the world am I doing? My hands are everywhere. It looks like I'm batting away bees or something. Maybe I am a part Italian or something. I don't know. You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to stand on the corner and 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 shout out the good news. You can share quietly with someone God has brought across your path. Share the good news with them quietly, sedately respectfully and yet the convicting and convincing power of the holy spirit will saturate those words and he will begin his work in their heart ephesians or acts the uh, fourth chapter verse 13 uh the the um disciples are now they've been called before the um council and they're they're giving an account of of what they have experienced and what they are preaching and verse 13 we read now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus the Holy Spirit floods our lives and fills our words with the presence and power of God and it's convincing and convicting um, power verse luke luke 24 verse 30 you don't need to turn there remember the disciples on the road to emmaus what did they say when they suddenly realized it was jesus did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke when we are filled with the holy spirit we are empowered to be witnesses to share the good news in a fashion that God Himself finds expression through the words that we're speaking. They become a container that holds His presence and deposits it in the heart and minds of those men and women with whom we are sharing. 1 Corinthians 14. Let's look at this uh, matter of tongues. Bearing in mind what I said about uh, our tendency to deify our intellect at the expense of our spirit. The humility that is attached to speaking in tongues. And bearing in mind how critical a role humility plays in spiritual growth and in accessing grace. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Now, Paul is identifying a problem that exists in the church at Corinth. Everyone, it appears, 
is sharing, stand, many people are standing and sharing, they're, they're praying out in other tongues. But without uh, uh, the attendant gift of interpretation of tongues. In fact, they are praying in an unknown tongue. We'll talk about specialized tongues as it exists in chapter 12 where the gifts of the Spirit are listed. And there are two different administrations of the Holy Spirit. Remember this, the gifts of the Spirit operate according to the will of the Holy Spirit. For instance, if let's say you have the gift of healing. That's one of the gifts that are listed. Well, if you could simply you say, well, that's my gift, then you should go to the hospital each day and empty it. Right? But the, the gifts of the Spirit are administered by the Holy Spirit and... Excuse me, my shoe's coming untied. Pardon my attire tonight. I know it's very casual. It was a different sort of a day and I simply didn't have time to change into um, my suit and collar. So forgive my appearance. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> I was preaching, wasn't I? We would simply empty the hospital, but the gifts of the Spirit... Uh, we operate within them by the will of the Spirit. When He is, when, when we don't entirely know why, we know faith must be present, but the gifts of the Spirit work through us when, where, and how God by His Spirit wills that they work. It's not something you and I can simply flip on and off. So they're not volitional. But what we will discover about um, unknown tongues, this prayer language that is given to us as a devotional tool and gift, it is entirely volitional. So that would separate it immediately uh, from among the gifts of the Spirit that are listed in um, 1 Corinthians 12. So we're talking about two Two different administrations of the Holy Spirit and two different manifestations. Uh, verse 3, but one prophesies, speak, who prophesies speaks to men for edification. I'm sorry, uh, verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to who? God. So when we're speaking in other tongues, not, not this tongue that is listed in 1 Corinthians 12, but just imagine you're praying. We're speaking to who? God and not man. It's unintelligible. If I began speaking to you in other tongues, you would think me an odd fellow, right? And we know each other. If you're a stranger, you would think, I think he has Tourette's or something like that. Definitely a problem here. And in fact, Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians 14 explains because you're doing this out of order, um, you, you have no regard for order and decorum within the public assembly. Not only are you failing to edify those who are gathered there, but for the unbeliever who might be present or the uninitiated, they will think you are a barbarian or a madman, that you're insane. So you've also collapsed whatever evangelistic dynamic might exist within the gifts because of the manner in which you are participating in them. So, 
But we'll note here, uh, and I'm going to get ahead of myself because we're not going to have time to go through each verse tonight. We'll get to it in the coming weeks. But Paul explains, you're out of order. You shouldn't be doing this in this setting. But he says something unique. He says concerning the one who who is speaking in an unknown tongue in the public assembly, out of order, he said, you have given thanks well. You have given thanks to God well, and you've been spiritually built up or edified. But you are out of order. That tells me that A, it is volitional. Because the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to do something out of order. So this act is volitional. But even though it was out of order, it was still a spiritual activity. He said, you have given thanks well. And you were personally built up. But it was out of place. Wrong time, wrong place. Are you tracking with me here? I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get across to you is that the validity of the gift is being emphasized here. In fact, he says, I, I want all of you to speak with this other tongue. He is not, um, he's not suggesting one over the other. He is suggesting that in the public assembly, prophecy or teaching, so that everyone can understand what's being said, is appropriate and in order. What would be the value of me? You've all been sitting here for the last few minutes. <laughs> and, and hopefully I've said something of some value. Some of you may think, oh, I don't know. But uh, imagine if I had been babbling here in unintelligible language. And some of you, again, you might think it wouldn't be much different, Larry. <laughs> um, but it would, it, it would not be productive or fruitful, would it? And if you were an unbeliever or an un, someone uninitiated to the gifts of the Spirit, you, you would think, these people have lost their minds. I am never going back there again. And the charismatic movement, particularly I would say over the last maybe 20 years, has fallen into that more and more in certain sectors. Um, it was not always so. For the first 20 years, there was a great deal of um, attention given to order and decorum that that began to fall off uh, over time. And then that's unfortunate. But um, Paul is addressing that very issue here at the church in Corinth. But he is saying, listen, I am not diminishing the value or the importance or the imperative of praying in other tongues, I am simply identifying the proper time and place for it. Uh, Verse 3, one who prophesies or, or speaks plainly speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Himself. But one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Now this is not poetic license. He's not speaking extravagantly. Boy, I wish all of you spoke with tongues. Ha ha ha. Wink, wink, wink. Now he is stating emphatically the value of tongues, the imperative of tongues. I would that all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Where? In the public assembly. 
Now, we're going to, I've got to close. So we're, uh, we're going to leave off here for now, and we're going to close with Jude, verse 20. It's only one chapter. It is the book immediately preceding the book of Revelation. Jude, verse 20. Now Jude is encouraging the church to build themselves up on the revelation that has been communicated to them, the word of truth, the gospel of Christ, because there were um, um, false teachers. And uh, he was warning them against them and explaining to them how to guard themselves against error. We're going to go straight to verse uh, 20. <clears throat> But you, beloved, building up yourselves, edifying yourselves. Remember in 1 Corinthians 14, one who prays in tongues does what? Edifies or builds himself up. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in what? The Holy Spirit. Keep, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, I want, to, I want to take time to, I don't ordinarily do this, but I want you to understand these are not, uh, these verses aren't being pulled out of context and, uh, and careless exegesis being applied. I, I'm going to read to you from, uh, this is uh, from the a Pillar New Testament commentary. It's one of the leading commentaries available today and a wonderful work of a scholarship. It's reflective of really exceptional exegesis and, and the latest scholarship. The, the uh, letter of Jude was, uh, the commentary for that was, was authored by Dr. Peter Davis, who's a New Testament scholar and, a, and also a Catholic priest, surprisingly. Um, I want to read to you what he has uh, written in his commentary regarding uh, verse 20. The next exhortation is that they should, quote, pray in the Holy Spirit. This concept appears in the Gospels in John 14, 23, and 24, and the Pauline writings, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, and 16, and Ephesians 6, 18. We've covered that in the past. We'll get back to that in the weeks to come. The last reference is especially close to our passage, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That's Ephesians 6.18. Yet the first reference in Paul is also important, for in it Paul contrasts praying in the Spirit, i.e. in tongues, with praying with one's mind, arguing for the value of both in appropriate context. What this shows is that praying in the Spirit is in line with the usual sense of doing something in the Spirit. I will... He has a number of things written parenthetically. I'm going to just, for time's sake, move beyond that. Which means that it refers to prayer controlled or guided by the Spirit. That the Spirit inspires true prayer is a much larger theme in the New Testament, which follows from Romans 8 9, where the Spirit controls the Christian's life in general. That this prayer can be both rational and transrational or unintelligible i.e. glossolalic, which is a Greek word for speaking in other tongues, is also clear in the New Testament. We have no other information about the practices of Jude's community, but given that the one place where Paul explains the phrase 
he does so in terms of glossolalic prayer, praying in tongues, and the widespread experience of glossolalia in the New Testament period, according to both Paul and Acts. J.D. Dunn, another a New Testament scholar, Greek scholar, is probably correct when he writes, a reference to the charismatic prayer, including glossolalic prayer, may therefore be presumed for Jude 20. So these are not far out and outlandish um, interpretations. This is discipline hermeneutics. And it identifies praying in the Holy Ghost or praying in the Holy Spirit as praying in other tongues. Now, over the next couple of weeks, I want to make a distinction between um, this this gift, which is a prayer language, and which operates volition, we operate in volitionally at will, and the the a gift of uh, tongues or specialized tongues that is included in those gifts listed in First Corinthians twelve, because Paul asks the question, "Do all speak with tongues?" And in that particular verse, the the implication is no but he's referring there to a different administration. And, and I, I hope to clear some of that up, uh, at least sufficiently for you to be able to judge for yourself whether I've, uh, I and those who ag- agree with this particular theological perspective have done so accurately or not. But I want to present that to you um, because consider what he said here jude is urging them to build themselves up to edify themselves on their most holy faith paul has said when you pray in other tongues you are edifying yourself do you want to be built up strengthened with his might in our spirit paul said by the holy spirit as he prayed for the church in ephesians 3 yes indeed we want that and if we have been told in in jude 20 that we in part achieve this by praying in the Holy Spirit or praying in other tongues, I am puzzled by the idea that God would urge us to engage in a behavior that would help us to grow spiritually, to be spiritually edified, and yet suggest that that's not available to everyone. Or that it was restricted to a particular age. Would would you be puzzled by that as well? Yeah. So I think, I think this is uh, well worth our time to explore. I, I hope you find it engaging and interesting. And most of all, uh, I, I hope it inspires you to dig more deeply into this and determine, hey, if this is so, then it's something I want to begin to blend into my devotional life. Father, thank you for your word and for your spirit, and we pray that they work in our hearts and minds over the next several days and weeks, and that you would help us to grapple with these ideas and make it plain to us, and and, uh, inspire us, Lord, to accommodate uh, the truth you reveal in our lives. In Jesus' name. Let's just take a moment. Father, Thank you for your uh, grace and mercy. We may have come here tonight with cares, with burdens, with needs. We thank you for loving us, though.
for caring so carefully and tenderly for us. You are aware of the smallest detail of our lives. Nothing escapes your notice. And you yearn, Lord, to minister to every need. You yearn to make yourself known. You yearn to engage with us more intimately, Lord. We release our cares into your hand right now. Every concern, every need. And we cry out to you, Lord, and, and we ask you, reveal yourself more fully to us. We want to experience you. We want to know you more. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.